Hey, y'all, this is Unbound Love, the meandering conversation of two pastors. I am Gail Tabor, and I am the pastor at SALT, inclusive Methodist community that is emerging in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, We anticipate that we'll start public worship sometime this fall. Um, Anyway, that's who I am. And I am Laura Whitman, the pastor at the Mills Church uh, in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Methodist uh, New Faith Community. That is a mouthful, uh, but we um, we are just entering our third year of ministry and really excited about that as well. So uh, today our topic is all about napping, and uh, love a good nap. I do too. So actually, while we're doing this today, I'm going to take a nap, and Gail's going to talk uh, just for science, <laughs> just for science. <laughs> So Gail, what do you love about napping? You know, for a long time, I was not a a person who took naps. Um, I was um, absolutely the power through, uh, I'm going to get it done. I don't have time for that uh, mentality. And um, my background comes from a a more of a corporate world uh, where, uh, you know, no law firm in the world is going to let you um, just like be on the nap uh, while you're supposed to be at work. And, um, and who has time for it on their own personal time, right? Like, um, like you get home and I have stuff to do. I have stuff I want to do. And so it was always just this power through no matter how tired you are, no matter how much your body is calling for rest, just get her done. And, um, and then, um, seminary, I think is really where I learned the power of napping. Um, when I just couldn't read one more word where I just couldn't, like I could sit holding my computer or at my desk trying to write. Um, but none of that was actually happening because I was just tired. And if I gave myself the grace to take a nap, I could come back refreshed and able to do. So I was never really much of a a napper um, until, because I I always was the kind of person, like I like to wake up early, I like to go to bed early and like napping would mess up all of that for me. Um, If I took a nap, I could not go to sleep at night and I'm still a little bit that way. But when we had our first son, Cameron, and I became the most sleep deprived I had ever been in my life. Um, I started doing the, the thing they always tell you to do, which is to nap when the baby's napping. And uh, so I would just sleep all the time, like take 30 minute naps here and there. I'd lay with Cameron on the couch. We'd go to sleep. It was beautiful. Um, but then I had a second kid and I realized you can't nap when the baby's napping because the first kid is around running crazy and like pulling things off shelves and trying to destroy your house. So um, I had a very nice two year period where I got to take naps. And um, now that my kids are a little bit older and I can sort of um, like get by with naps, there's naps that happen, especially on Sunday afternoons after church. That's the, the best time for a nap. I nap every Sunday afternoon. If I preach, I nap Sunday afternoon. And 
to start with, it wasn't necessarily intentional because I'm a big football fan. And um, so, you know, Sunday afternoon is football, right? So Steelers go Steelers. (sighs) Okay. Um, I live with one like you. Um, She sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) She is amazing. (laughs) So you you only say that because you know, she's listening. Um, So I, so Sunday afternoon, you know, it's, it's for football. And so you go home, you have lunch, you turn on the game and watch football the rest of the day. And then I found that I just naturally started sleeping. And so um, now I, I actually plan for this is my nap time. And every Sunday afternoon, even wherever I am, what, whatever I might be doing, where I might not be taking a nap, but there is an alarm that goes off on my watch to wake me up from my nap. Um, so every Sunday there is an alarm to wake me up from napping because I just assume that I'm going to be napping during that time. Um, so anyway, so, so napping, I think, I mean, we were talking earlier, I have a a couch in my office that, um, I, to start with, I was like, yeah, I don't need a couch in here, right? I mean, it's a nice place to sit. And when you have meetings, it's a nice place to, place to have people to be able to sit. But what I found is, is I use it for napping. Um, when, when I just get overwhelmed and I just don't think I can think one more minute or work on anything one more minute, I'm just like, I'm just going to lay down. And 30 minutes later, um, I'm back at it and I feel refreshed and renewed and ready to go and so I you know I started to think of them as mini sabbaths right so as pastors we are encouraged to take a sabbath all people really were you're encouraged to take a sabbath but I started to think of of naps as this true time of respite where I get to shut off and let my body rest well, and it's so important, you know, for our bodies, rest is built into creation. Like you said, it's one of our first rules that we're supposed to uh, maintain Sabbath. And that's a conversation we can have a whole lot of on another episode mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I think, you know, for, for our mental clarity, for our well-being, naps are essential. When I served at St. Paul in Rocky Mount, um, there was a room that was nothing but couches. And um, so it would be a pretty frequent occurrence for me to take a nap on one of the couches there, especially because at the time we were living 30 minutes away. So if I needed a break, I couldn't just go home. If I was there, I was there for the day. I didn't drive back and forth. So a lot of times like break would be a nap on the couch. And I was definitely uh, caught by church members, you know, coming in and out of the building and they'd find me napping. And um, I think they mostly took pity on me. They're like, oh, this poor woman has three kids. She's really tired. We'll just leave her alone. So sometimes I'd wake up with a blanket there also, or <laughs> like snacks <laughs> beside the couch. It was really great. Yeah. So, so I read a, an article recently, um, which I, I think, well, I, I want to say that <clears throat> culturally um, as, as Americans, as people in the United States, like culturally napping is not a part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of taking rest during the day 
Um, and I think part of that is our um, uh, heritage, um, the idea that we can work ourselves out of whatever it is. And it, working hard is praised over rest. Um, putting in extra time is praised over um, taking a break. And so a lot of that is a cultural thing. In, in other cultures, not so much. Um, and so the idea of siesta uh, is uh, uh, very prominent in uh, countries that are particularly in hot countries. Uh, where in the heat of the day, it is too hot to do work. And so the idea that you you work until it gets too hot to work anymore and you have some lunch and you you rest until it starts to cool off and then you go back at it again, um, it, it's cultural. Siesta is a real thing. And um, so this article that I read, which I found very, very interesting, um, it is about um, a life hack that is thousands of year old, thousands of years old, uh, could help humans to adapt to record-setting heat waves, mm. um, which we seem to be having a lot more of. And um, and in it, it talks about how taking a nap or a siesta in the middle of the day actually makes sense. This is the heat of the day. Find a cool place and hang out and, and take a break and then go at it again. But I think for mental health, that may be something that works very well for us as well. Um, I know that during the pandemic, uh, when I was just at home, it was far easier for me because I'm working from home. Uh, I'm in my home office and it was very easy to be like, okay, so I'm going to have my lunch and I'm going to watch TV while I eat my lunch. And then I'm just going to lay on the couch and let it play while I catch a little nap. Um, and then I felt more refreshed for getting back to whatever it was I was doing. So the idea of, you know, this, this tradition that dates back um, to ancient Rome and the word siesta, which actually comes from a Latin word, it's sexta, S-E-X-T-A, uh, which refers to the sixth hour of the day when the Romans would stop for lunch and rest before returning to work. And so this is, this, this is a very ancient idea that you would rest in the middle of the day, this central hour um, when it is the hottest. And um, you would take a break from your duties in order to, um, to nap to rest, which is, according to this article, is generally between one and three. That would be a long nap for me. Yeah, and there's been, um, I've seen argument before. I remember watching a, a TV show. It might have been like a Dr. Oz or something, which I do not watch, just to be clear. It was just <laughs> on the TV. Um, but, but I remember him saying something about like the optimal nap was like 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's insane. That is not a nap. That's like a, I closed my eyes for a second. That's like when your dad sits in a recliner and like stops listening to everyone for a few minutes. And he's like, I'm resting my eyes. That's resting your eyes. That's not a nap. And uh, I think, yeah, the idea of a two hour nap sounds amazing. Although I would not be able to sleep 
again for like another 20 hours, I don't think. I would say the average nap time is somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half. If I sleep any longer than that, then I really do. Um, I get too deep into sleep. Um, and if I sleep too deeply in my nap, I wake up feeling not better, but worse, if that makes yes. sense. So, and I'm one of those people who, who, who tends to be a deep sleeper. Um, and so for me, I can't, I can't allow myself to get into, uh, what is it? REM sleep. Is that the mm-hmm. one that's the deepest? Um, so if I ever allow myself to get that deep into my nap, then, you know, all bets are off. I could sleep for hours and wake up feeling horrible. Yeah. And that's the worst is when you take a nap and you feel worse than when you, when you started. Yeah. Um, I remember I keep giving these hypothetical examples of this one time I read an article, but there was this one time where I read an article about um, how napping was like what we were supposed to do, that nobody was meant to stay awake for like these hours, you know, long stretches that were, we were designed to be more like cats where you just kind of do something for a little while and then you fall asleep and then you do something else for a while and then you fall asleep and that that's how our bodies are really designed to be. Um, because I know, you know, for myself, an hour long nap, I feel refreshed. I feel like I can go do anything, even if I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. Um, so maybe there's some real merit to that, that if we just went on a cycle of be productive for a little while, go to sleep, you know, watch some Netflix, whatever, maybe we'd be better. Yeah, so... I was reading something and we, we were talking about it earlier. A, um, a, it's called a nap ministry, the nap ministry, I think is what it's called. And one of the things that they talk about is napping as resistance. Um, and when I first read it, I was just like napping as resistance. Like, what does that mean? Like, what are we resisting that we're napping? You know, that seems the opposite of resisting is like taking a break um but like i was talking about earlier this cultural idea that we can power through that we can um do more if we just push forward um and that somehow we are able to sustain ourselves um i think that is um i think that's the resistance um it's almost and and you see it even in 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 god in the creation saying well uh, i've done my work i'm going to take a little nap here i'm going to rest a whole day um and and i think we really suck at that um letting ourselves rest yeah jesus literally took a nap on a boat in the middle of a giant storm <laughs> that sounds you know, awesome it does sound awesome doesn't it yeah i don't know I love to sleep it. in storms but I think about, you know, as someone who, um, who has ADHD also, uh, if I get oversensitized or um, overwhelmed, I get to a point where I can't do anything. I just become useless. And sometimes just taking a break, like a 20 minute nap, just to close my eye, even if I don't actually fall asleep, like a 20 minute lay down and just rest for a second, it makes a world of difference. And I think there's a way in which our culture to where it seems like that's unproductive or lazy. Um, but 
if I get to a point where I can't function anymore, then what good am I anyway? And I, I think we've stigmatized that for some reason, um, rather than embracing it as a way to, to help us get through and be more productive. Well, and I think about, you know, you were talking about napping with your children. And when we were children, we, we nap, all, I mean, you, you force kids into naps, right? And then when they get old enough, I'm, I'm air quoting y'all, when they get old enough, they don't have to take naps. And somehow we've equated not napping with being an adult. Mm-hmm. We've equated this idea of, of not needing rest with being an adult. And, and one of the things that they talk about with teenagers all the time is that they don't get enough sleep, that they really need like 12 hours of sleep. They really need this um, crazy amount of sleep. And, um, and somehow culturally, we don't ever seem to give that to them. Well, and we make them go to school at seven o'clock in the morning, which is not a healthy time at all. Um, I think about, you know, even our kids this past year, we had to have them at school by, you know, 745 in the morning. And even for them at their young age, that was incredibly difficult to try to wake them up and get them going um, and be productive members of society. I mean, honestly, if we had waited until, you know, 830, nine o'clock to drop them off, they would have been much more uh, productive individuals, I think. But just expecting them to get up and go that early is, is insane. And, you know, too, the, the school schedules that we put kids on when they, when they have to go at seven o'clock and then be home by two o'clock in the afternoon, like what parent can work around that kind of schedule either? So I don't know. So many problems. Yeah. So uh, like, you know, my spouse is a teacher and teaches high school and um, I, I think one of the wonderful things that, that um, her school does is that um, the, the kids come, I think it's nine o'clock. So the school actually starts at nine and, um, and they leave. I want to say it's four. I want to say it's four. Um, but, you know, nine to four is a, a, a much different thing than being there from, seven to three or however that works out um like and and it seems like the younger the kids are the earlier we make them go and i i mean i don't i I don't know anything about school systems and why they do what they do i understand that part of it is bus scheduling like when yeah especially now in those bus yeah especially now i know in our district because of the lack of bus drivers they have Mm. to stagger everybody um in such a way that the schedule is nuts this year so like the high schoolers have to be there at seven in the morning and i think the um elementary kids are by eight and the middle school kids are 8 30 or something like that but it's it's all over the place and we have three kids in three different schools so that's fun <laughs> yeah because then everybody has to be up at different times to yep. go different different buses and different whatever so I'll be napping the whole time they're at school is what I'm saying. Yeah, that sounds perfect. That sounds perfect. So 
So how how do we how do we make it? And and by we, uh, that's a queen's we, a collective we. Uh, yeah. Um, so that that culturally, it's not viewed as laziness, but viewed as self care. Um, viewed as um, as a way of being more productive by actually allowing yourself to be rested to mm-hmm. do the work that you need to do. Yeah, making it a, a holistic practice, you know. Yes. Um, you know, I think about, and this is this is no disrespect to anybody in leadership in the church. This is just an observation. Mm-hmm. Every year they give us these things as pastors that are like, make sure you're taking Sabbath, make sure you're setting boundaries. And then at the same time, it's like, but you have to come to this and you have to do this and you need to be there for this. And then I see conference leadership, um, people in our conference leadership who just are so overworked themselves who don't have time to rest and take Sabbath either. And so when your leadership doesn't do it then your pastors don't do it and then your pastors don't encourage it to their, their church people either. Um, and I think when there's not been a maintained practice of boundary and Sabbath, it makes it a lot harder to, to bring that into the culture too. You know, I remember um, following a particular pastor at one appointment um, who when we transition churches, we're supposed to make a notebook that says like, so you're moving and here's all the things you need to know about your new church. And I remember one of the notes in it said, you are on call 24 seven, no matter what. And I said, actually, that's going to be a conversation we have to have right away (laughs) because I'm not going to be on call 24 seven because I'm a human being who also needs rest. And um, I think some of that, some of that, bringing that into that culture is boundary setting. I think some of it is is advocating for ourselves and saying what we need. I think some of it is self-awareness too, because there's some personalities who don't need that, but some of us do. Um, and so, you know, I think I got to do the, the Reynolds program this past year, which is a, a program for clergy where um, you sort of kind of go through this very intense assessment process, all different kinds of assessments where you learn a lot about your leadership style and how to advocate for yourself and how to advocate what your needs are um, for your leadership within your church and and people who work with you. And in that process, though, you you learn a lot about who you are and a lot about, about what you need. And so I think some of that comes down to just saying, like, this is who I am. This is the boundary that I need. And then in doing that, it encourages other people to do the same thing and to say, you know, I also need this time of rest or I need this moment of clarity or I need to be able to shut my door for 20 minutes and just have some time away without interruption or um, or anything. But I think that that idea of overworking is so built into everything we do, even when we're telling people not to do it, we still do it by example and we still discourage it in what we require of people. So I will say that in my growing up years, um, it used to kind of annoy me, and and maybe it still will. I don't know. Um, I'm still pretty new to this pastor game. Um, 
but I would always think like, so here is this person who is the pastor who is getting paid money to do this job. And so they are asking people to come outside of their work hours. So the average person gets up, they go to work, they work eight hours, they come home, they feed their family, they do whatever it is they need to do. And then you're asking them to come and volunteer X amount of hours to the church. Um, and so then when pastoral people would be like, mm, I can't do that because I'm not at work today or this is my not my work time i'm like well it's not my work time either i'm volunteering um this is above and beyond my job to be here doing this and so as i am in this pastor role i try to be very mindful of that like how am i asking other people to donate time um if I'm not willing to donate time and I get that quite possibly my volunteering is in, so this is my job and my volunteering maybe is somewhere else be beyond what I am. It, it gets very convoluted in my head. Um, but I know that none of us can work outside of our ability to work. And when we are trying to push beyond our ability, um, our unrested ability, um, we are not very productive. We're not very effective in the work that we're doing. Right. No matter what that and work I, is. Right. And I, I think as pastors, obviously we have to be available. You know, when I say I don't work 24 seven, I mean, like if I'm at a birthday party with my kid, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> go do something, you know, that is probably not necessary. I remember in a church I served, I would get phone calls at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And they would be things like, can you put this in the bulletin next week? And I'm like, you didn't need to call me for this right now. Or it'd be like, you know, what are we doing for Sunday school tomorrow? Again, not a conversation we needed to have right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a fine line, I think for us in being available and being present, and then also being, um, for lack of a better term, sort of beat up or abused by that kind of expectation. Mm. Um, when I was a kid, you know, I was a preacher's kid, and there would be times that, uh, you know, we'd be getting ready to go uh, to like, you know, a birthday dinner, and someone would call, and that plan would have to shift, or we'd be on vacation, and we'd have to go home from vacation because something happened at the church. And so because of that, we've grown up with some very, very strict boundaries. My husband and I being a clergy couple who were both to say like, this is when we're very clearly not available. And this is what an emergency is. And so actually that was one thing my husband um, taught me last year. He went to the Davidson Center during his sabbatical. And one of the things they said is preachers often struggle and not just preachers, anybody in any job, any profession, we often struggle with that time away, that separation, that rest we need, because we say only call me if it's an emergency. Well, people don't know what an emergency is to you. And so one of the things they said is before you go, before you set boundaries, define 
what an emergency actually is. So, you know, it's not tell me what to put in the bulletin. It's not, um, you know, somebody didn't sign up to bring this to the covered dish dinner, but an emergency is someone's in the hospital, you know, someone's sick, someone needs prayer, you know, someone is going through this situation or, um, hey, I'm at the church and the fire alarm is going off. Those are emergencies. And I think it also makes it clear, I am available to you for these things. I'm not saying no, I'm saying, I also need these parameters to be met before you call me about just anything. And I think that helps everyone, but it's not always an easy thing to communicate um, in our, especially as pastors, where we want to be available to everyone at all times and in all places. So a friend who's also a pastor and um, who is very good at, at taking Sabbath, um, annoyingly good at it. Um, and, um, in a discussion with them recently, uh, we were talking about one particular person who an inordinate amount of time reaches out to them on their known Sabbath. Like this is published everywhere that this is the Sabbath. This is, you know, contact me only with emergencies. Um, you know, I'm not responding to email. I'm not I'm just not available. And yet their cell phone would ring almost every week on their Sabbath from this particular person. No other day of the week, just that day. And in thinking about that, um, and this is someone who I'm fairly close with, very close with. And um, I mean, if I need to send a text message, I schedule it. So, oh, it's, it's your Sabbath. I know it's your Sabbath, but I need to say this to you. And I'm afraid that I will forget to say it. So I will schedule that text to go the next day um, so that I can move that out of my brain and, and know that it's taken care of, but I'm not having to do it right now to disrupt your life. Um, And it's something that needs to be urgently taken care of. So it's not an email, um, but it's not, I need to disrupt your life either. Um, but sometimes I think that we feel the need to, how important am I? Am I in that inner circle that I can call you late at night? Am I in that inner circle that I get you on your Sabbath? Am I in that inner circle that I get to, uh, be disruptive, uh, and you're going to accept my call, take my call, um, and and also to the to the reverse of that though how important do we think we are that we can't set boundaries you know Mm because I think there's that expectation if I'm not there things are going to fall apart or if I don't respond right away it's true they're going to fall apart so yeah it's a it's a two-way street but I love that of that practice of like let me schedule this so that I can get it out so I don't forget but also it's an intentional practice of um, recognizing another person's boundaries too, which I think is a really good thing, maybe for us to teach people and to say like, this is, this is how to do this in a way that, you know, is a little more respectful of others. Yeah. And I I get that we're a field of napping, but, um, but I think that that whole respecting each other and respecting the time that people need 
in order to recharge themselves, whatever that looks like. Um, whether that is, oh, they're napping or, oh, they're taking a Sabbath or they're taking a vacation or, um, you know, all of these things are important to be able to do, uh, whether you are the pastor of a church or whether you're a lay member of the church or you're just a visitor to the church. Um, however you are plugged into whatever community you're in, it's having your community recognize your need for rest mm-hmm. and your need to be able to um, to take that time on a regular basis. On that note, maybe we should go take a nap. I agree. Actually, it's just about the perfect time for a nap in the real time that we're recording in, you know, I might need lunch first and then a nap, but I think think sounds like a great afternoon. I think that's going to be my perfect uh, uh, afternoon as well. So uh, nap, lunch, lunch, nap, whichever way I do that. Maybe, Um, maybe both nap, lunch, nap, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So all of that works. (laughs) We will see y'all back here next week, y'all. Bye friends.